Welcome into another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's Football and Random Things, Victory Monday here on Football and Random Things. Is this episode 99? I think so. I think episode, no, is this 98? Because I, I thought 99 was, or I thought 100 was going to be the week of Kansas State. So that would mean we have one more. I think this is 98. But if it's okay. 99, I'm okay with that. And then our. It would be really unfortunate if 100 had to come after a bye week, though. <laughs> I think that would be the most football and random things thing ever. That is the most on brand thing that could possibly happen though, is if we have our, a lot of random things, a lot of RT, not much F here. It would be all like, it would be us talking about random things from college football. And then we would spend like 10 minutes talking about Kansas state at the end. (laughs) Hey, I'm going to be going hiking in the upper peninsula from Wednesday to Saturday of this week. We could talk about that next, uh, next Monday. Just talk about different scenery, different birds foliage that we saw huh? and you need we'll I'll have to get rob gray on for a guest appearance for you guys to talk oh, about birds that'd be great just a just that's a super random that's a sub it's a subsection inside of random things it's ornithology my favorite thing about rob about is that i guarantee you hearing like oh talking about birds in the upper peninsula he could probably already name at least six uh six subspecies of birds that you could potentially see in the upper peninsula without looking it up. He would be able to tell you off the top of his head. I respect that. Yeah. I respect that. Uh, people might be wondering why are we talking about subseries of birds to lead off today's podcast? Uh, let's just say that things did not go very well for the Kansas Jayhawks on Saturday night, which makes that that this podcast, I don't know how much analysis there will be of football. Uh, I thought that Lance Leipold might've had the very best analysis of how the game went for Kansas uh, this is from his post-game press conference quote. We wanted to get the ball and not let them get off to a good start and get the crowd into it. Obviously we went three and out and it was tough to get it going. They have the ability to do so many things explosively with the run game and their tight ends. A lot of things didn't go right. The understatement of the century there from coach yeah. Leipold, uh, as his you team think? not only went three and out to start the game, but ran five plays, uh, before they were down 14 to zero to Iowa state and including two fumbles. Down- yeah. With two fumbles with two fumbles on consecutive plays. Uh, one of them, well, both, both of them, unforced. I guess, completely unforced, uh, both, both unforced. Iowa state recovered one and, uh, the cyclones led 28 to zero at the end of the first quarter, never looked back on their way to a 59 to seven win. Uh, there are some things I think that we can take away from it still, because I thought Iowa state, uh, played about as well as they probably could have in the game. But holy shit, dude, Kansas is bad, man. Oh my goodness. They are, they are. And it's, it's, it's bad. I, t- I, I talked to you and Rob and then a little bit with Dave Sproul. I feel really, I, I want to feel like Kansas is coming out of it, you know, because we've been where Kansas is not, I guess not as bad. There weren't seasons where we went over, but Iowa state has had periods in their history their very recent history. And I was, I was on a team that won three games and got absolutely waxed for a fair number of those games. I've been where they are and Iowa state came out of it. Thanks to Matt Campbell, but thanks to, you know, good players and a, a fan base that's, that's able to, to rally, you know, and inspire. And so Iowa state was there and they got out of it. Kansas is still there, they, but they've been there for a long time. And I want them because I feel a little kindred spirit where it's almost like a, a shared suffering. Cause I know again, it feels like, and I want them to come out of it, but there, there isn't to me, I don't know where the other than Lance Leipold 
and what he has done at everywhere else that he's been, he'll get it turned around. But this year, I mean, so that, that was as bad as a team has played in Ames in a very long time. And it, it's hard to watch a team be that bad, but it's, it's fun to watch when you're rooting for the team that's playing that really bad team. So there's a lot of different instances that Kansas made fundamental uh, and not even like the, the, the unforced fumbles, just the defensive scheme on completely fundamental mistakes. The, the kind of stuff that you teach your JV kids not to do, they managed to do. And when you, I don't know what, how you get that out of a team where if they have been this bad for this long, you can't go, look, what you're doing doesn't work. Listen to me or you will keep getting this result. So I, I hope that in some point they, they move on, but I think. So basically game, you hope that it has the Iowa, Iowa state 2016 effect. Oh yeah. Getting absolutely hammered. And then, all right, let's turn this around. Let's, yeah. let's get ourselves out of it. I, uh, I think there's two main, I mean, the, the two overarching takeaways from Saturday were that yes, Kansas is really bad. They are, I mean, maybe they can pull it together and snag one against somebody, but where's that win coming from the, in this conference? I mean, we had said it before that we thought Texas tech didn't look very good, but Texas tech be West Virginia in Morgantown. All right. Well, okay. Scratch that. I don't know where this, where that win potentially comes from later in the conference. So t- Kansas is not good and they don't have a lot of hope for the future, uh, at least this season and Iowa state. Also, you can say that they played really, really well in addition to Kansas playing really poorly, both of those things happen and you can take stuff from both sides. One is funnier and one is encouraging. Uh, two numbers jumped out to me from the Iowa state perspective, 9.4 yards per play. Uh, you're going to have some success when you nearly get a first down on every single play. And that's down. I think at the end of the first half, it was 10.8. Uh, and then 8.8 yards per rush. Also a winning statistic. That's You're going to win a lot of games when you average almost nine yards a carry. When Hunter Deckers has the longest run on the season, it's a little weird, but I'm okay with that. I didn't think Deckers could run, but I mean, not like that. I didn't think he had that kind of down the field legs. I thought he was, you know, more a between the tackles kind of runner, but uh, yeah. He, he also might've set a world record for the number of steps taken during a 40 yard run. <laughs> He's six, three with the steps of a five foot seven guy. <laughs> No, Deion Silas though. He's five, seven. He can, that cat. Deion Silas might take fewer steps in a 40 yard run than Hunter Deckers did. So, uh, yeah, no, that, that offensive production was really good. So, okay. Here's the main, the thing that the statistics, cause again, it's part Kansas being bad part, Iowa state being good. But one of the things or the overarching thing that you can, that I can take from this is I'm going to, I'll introduce this point with a metaphor or a little allegory. So sit back kids. So when I was out in South Carolina, we golfed at a course called Polly's plantation. And so Polly's plantation is a, it's literally two miles in from the, from the ocean. So it's really flat. There's marshes everywhere. There's trees everywhere. It's South Carolina. So there's, there's woods everywhere. Swinging a golf club is the same, no matter where you are, but I think I shot like a 99 and I'm about a 17 handicap. So bogey golf ish, but terrible just because I was scared of hitting the water, scared of hitting whatever, because I'm not good enough yet to be super confident. 
came back and played last week at Woodland Hills in Ankeny, which is a course that I've played a million times and shot three over on the front nine. It was the only time that I had to play. Well, it's, it was only like 12 days difference between those. And it's a substantial difference in what it was. The course is not inherently harder. I mean, it's probably a little more challenging and where you have to spot your shots, but the biggest difference is in the relaxed confidence that comes with playing a course that you're really, really familiar with versus the fear of the other stuff that's happening. Now to bring this back to state, Iowa state knew that Kansas was really, really bad. That is their Woodland Hills golf course. It felt like Iowa state was playing loose and confident, especially Brock Purdy, like the, the touchdown pass to Joe skates. There have been other wide open deep balls earlier this season where Brock was that either overshot them or just missed them. There have been, they have been there this season. So there has been, a, there have been blown coverages and he's not connected with them, but that to me in the early part of the season, it felt it, it, it versus the Kansas game. It felt the same as what my experience on this brand new golf course with a lot of hazards left me not confident and relaxed to do the thing that I already know how to do versus doing the exact same thing. 175 yard shot. That's right towards the green is 175 shot yard shot. That's right towards the green. It doesn't change wherever you are. So a deep ball to Joe skates versus Kansas is a deep ball to Joe skates versus Baylor. It's the same, but the confidence and re the relaxed confidence that they were able to play with against Kansas made it. So they did all those offensive statistics that you just mentioned. So hopefully what this game does and what I think the back half of Baylor did because they were moving the ball up and down against Baylor is it kind of reinstates that confidence, that relaxed confidence that this offense wants to operate with. And the best, I think the most keynote example of this, how different it is versus early in the season is the Charlie Kohler touchdown. And the thing that is the most encouraging from this whole, that whole offensive thing is like I said, to relax confidence. Brock made what some guy, a guy missed. I mean, maybe that doesn't happen against a better team where make a guy miss in the pocket, but I let's say that it does. And he's running out to the, his right side. We've seen that happen a bunch early in the season and early in the season, it's say Northern Iowa, or uh, I don't think they were in the red zone enough against Iowa to make this count, but they, they're booting to the right against Northern Iowa. And he chucks that ball into the first row of the stands just to live to play another down. You kick a field goal, whatever. But in this game, because of that relaxed confidence, he's run, he makes the guy miss, makes that great play, runs to the right and sees Charlie running to the back pylon. Not really necessarily by the time he threw it, he wasn't turned around to look for the ball. So he sees Charlie going and goes, huh, if I put this about seven and a half feet off the ground and a yard out of bounds, the only person that can make this play is Charlie. What the hell? I'll give it a shot. And just aggressively puts that ball in and doesn't just throw it away touchdown. So that aggression that again, relaxed confidence that comes with playing a team like Kansas or being at home was reinstated on Saturday. And if they can continue that, that's the team that we expected to see at the start of the season because they feel relaxed, confident, and comfortable. So I think that's the biggest overarching thing about this offense that you saw is it was that golfing at Woodland Hills. It is comfortable. I know everything. I know where everything is. I know where to miss. I know how to do the things that I'm doing. So Yes, Kansas is terrible, but Iowa State playing confidently led to the result that they got. Uh, I did think that there another statistic that was kind of interesting. Uh, this is from the game notes. The 290 rushing yards by Iowa State are the most for the Cyclones since 
rushing for 315 yards against Texas Tech in 2015, which makes it the most of the Campbell era. Uh, obviously, State lost that game against Texas Tech 66 to 31, despite running for 315 yards, which is remarkable. Uh, if I remember that game correctly, I think Iowa State could have ran for about 500 uh, if they would have been able to stay in the game. But uh, it was just like, it was good to see everybody playing loose. Like you could tell Brees was having fun. He busted off a couple, man, he came really close to busting off a couple 60 plus yard runs there on that first drive. Probably, uh, you know, you saw some other guys, like some guys who aren't normally marquee players get involved a little bit. Saw Eric Horn make a really nice play early in the game on a fourth down. I uh, saw Joe skates catch a touchdown. Like I just thought it was good to see other people get in the game and have fun than just the normal main guys, you know? And I, and I think the thing that was nice to see for me was that there wasn't a change necessarily in production when those guys rotated in there, there now defensively, there was, I think you could tell the difference between where this having all 11 starters on, excuse me, on the field. So when you have all 11 starters in the field, sorry, that's computer trouble. Uh, what they would do is in the, in the open main part of the field, they would be you know, have three, you have a, a backup safety and a, a, a backup linebacker and a, you know, their second team defensive line in, and in this, this is normal rotation stuff that they do. And then as it got into the red zone, or as it got it progressively got closer to the end zone, they'd put their starting defensive line back out there and leave the backup linebacker and backup safety. And then they get inside the 20 and then they put in, uh, put Orion Vance in back and get the, you know, get whomever, Gary Vaughn out and then they would get inside the 10 and they'd put in Kamani King for whomever in there. And then all of a sudden you get an interception once all 11 starters are on the field. So there was a little bit of a drop off in production from your starters to your backups, just a skosh, but offensively, it didn't feel like that offensively. It felt as long as they didn't, as long as they didn't shoot themselves in the foot, which is a consistent thing throughout the season, there is, I think only one or two drives where you get a, whether it's a holding call or a false start or whatever, Tyler Miller had a, a rough series mm-hmm. where I think he, his only series of the game until the backups got put in, he had a holding call and a false start in three plays, which is not a great start. Uh, but until, unless you were shooting yourself in the foot, they were moving up and down the field, regardless of who was in the field. Cause I think they had, even in while the starters were in, they probably had four or five different offensive line combinations. They had six or seven wide receiver group combinations. So it was good to see that you could throw basically anybody out there and you're going to get a similar result. Yeah. And like, it's just hard to, I think the offensive line, especially probably is hard to evaluate because of Kansas, like every group you threw out there for the most part, look good. Mm-hmm. Everybody was going to look good, you know? So it's like, how much can you really carry away from that is thinking like, Oh, they made progress. I do think that if they were ever going to make like changes that were going to stick, this would probably be a good time with the bye week mm-hmm. uh, where you get the the whole bye week to kind of get those things ready to go before you go down to Kansas state. But it was just so clear that Iowa state had such a decided advantage on both sides of the ball in the trenches that like, how much can you really evaluate those guys? Yeah. You know? Uh, the, I think the only thing that if you can, I don't want to say read in because this is completely from the outside in, 
The position that was the most shuffled in, at least that I noticed was the left tackle position, which would be Sean Foster. They played Tyler Miller and Jared Hufford at equal intervals to foster. And that might be because maybe foster got like a, he had like a stomach bug or maybe he had a sprained ankle, or maybe they wanted to see what someone else would do with that setup. But, uh, the rest of the group seemed like it was more or less set and they would replace the left tackle throughout the game. And that's where that Tyler Miller series happened. That's where, and then Jared Hufford, I think had uh, one of his was a touchdown drive. Um, so yeah, if I wonder if they were just tossing out saying, Hey, what would happen if we did this? Because we have a 35 point lead and we're still keeping our starters in. Let's see how this group works together to get some film on it. Or they were just saying, Hey, Foster got, you know, rolled up on early in the game and no need to keep him out there while we have a 35 point lead. I don't know if there's anything, necessarily anything to read into. It's just an observation that what the position they swapped out most on the offensive line was the left tackle. All right, I'm pulling up the uh, I'm pulling up the snap counts here. Uh, Jared Hufford played 20 snaps. Um, Sean Foster played. Oh, okay, no, that's that was wrong. Uh, Sean Foster played 31 snaps. Jared Hufford played 30 snaps. Tyler Miller played 13 snaps. So yeah, they're pretty evenly split there between uh, Hufford and. Sean Foster. And there's been like a lot of momentum for Hufford for quite a while. I, I know that everybody is really a big fan of him. Um, and they, they think he's got a, a really high ceiling. He graded out really well. It's kind of hard to gauge sometimes with pro football focus, what the, uh, what those grades mean. But, um, I just, I, I think it would be good for them to just, they need to get that five solidified. Like they've done so much of the rotating and things like that. Like if you can get that five solidified and get some uh, continuity there, I think that that will be really important for them. Especially if you're, especially going into the, the sequence that Iowa state will be going into where yeah. every game from here on out, I don't think they're all necessarily going to be dog fights. Cause there might be a game or two where you just catch somebody injured or you like last year with West Virginia, uh, I'm not saying it's going to be West Virginia again, but last year against West Virginia where they were good and you just beat the hell out of them. Maybe one or two of those games happen where you just catch a team on an off night or an off day. But I think if you look at the, the way that everybody has played up to this point, the rest of the season is going to be a dog fight for all seven games. And it doesn't really matter where you're playing or who you're playing. It is going to be a dog fight. So yeah, getting those guys, getting them set, but at the same time, the offensive linemen are the first position to be injured almost all the time because they're the only position group that never looks the ball. They are, they are at no point. Are they looking at the football unless it's run past them for a touchdown, which is great, but they never see it. So they don't know where everything's going. So they're going to get rolled up into, they're going to get someone falls over. They trip over. It's naturally like lower limb injuries are super common with offensive linemen. So you have to have depth, across the board. So the fact they have rotated guys in when you find that five, there's most likely going, or there's, there's a high chance that one or two of those guys gets a sprained ankle or whatever, and you have to have somebody else come in. So it is good that they have been rotating, but I do agree that there, it would be nice to have your five guys just, you know, tri to use the basketball thing because basketball and offensive line play seem like they tightened up it, or it seemed like it, it makes sense is tightening up your rotation as you get towards the tournament. You know, you play nine guys and, 
preseason non-conference play, you play eight. By the time you get to the meat of conference play, then you get the conference tournament that shuts that tightens down to seven. And so you start just tightening down the rotation that most of the time you're going to have your best players in the field with every once in a while you have a Tyrus McGee that's going to come in Mm -hmm. to do what he needs to do and then bounce back out. So yeah, I agree. It would be good to have the five before this, this gauntlet uh, of the rest of the big 12 schedule. I know there were some plays and things like that, that really jumped out to you during the, during the game. What, uh, what were they? (laughs) The bad ones. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we can talk about any of them. You, uh, you told me you had some ideas, so let's go. Bad. So the, uh, the bad ones, it's hard to explain without showing it, but I'm going to do my best to tell you, dear listener, how bad Kansas is. So in the Joe Skates touchdown, there's two of them that are, that are really obvious in the Joe Skates touchdown. If you were to go back and watch this, because rewatching these games is really fun. Rewatching the Baylor game is not as fun. Kansas safeties at the snap were rotating down. They were coming up from about 12 yards to about eight yards, which is really tight for a safety. They are also for the most part during the game, playing a cover two or some cover two shell. I mean, both of those safeties are going to play back. Okay. What that means, if your safeties are rolling down to about eight yards is one of a couple things, either you're going to play something like cover four, where all the corner, the safety, the safety, and the other corner are all going to bail back at the same thing. Cause they're about the same level, or you're going to do something like an inverted cover two, meaning instead of your two safeties being the two deep guys, your two corners end up being the two deep guys and your safeties play underneath. It's just a way to shake up what the quarterback sees. Well, any of those work, if your defense understands that somebody has to go back and play defense. So both safeties play up and it was a two man route. Iowa state max protected. They had a run fake, which kept the safeties down even further. They had a max protect Joe skates and Xavier Hutchinson basically just ran down the field. There was, I think Hutchinson ran it over and skates just ran and nobody followed Joe skates. So either they were supposed to play a cover four and two of the four forgot, or they're going to play an inverted two and the two forgot, but they just completely forgot to go down the field. The takeaways on that is that Kansas is really bad. And also that run fakes are the thing that opposing offenses, the the running game at this point is the thing that opposing offenses are doing. Cause the only reason you'd even consider doing that is if you needed your safeties in the box for extra run help or even just around the box to tackle Brees Hall at seven yards. The only reason that that you bring your safeties down, but then, so that's good. You can take away the fact that they teams are bringing safeties down to stop the run. The other part is that once they do that, Kansas screwed it up on the back end. And then the second one was uh, the Xavier Hutchinson touchdown on the, the very first one of the game. Uh, Kansas brought a safety blitz, but the core, the safety didn't safety blitz from 12 yards. So if you're going to bring a safety blitz, you have to cheat up a little bit because you can't, if you're running from 12 yards, the quarterback's already starting at five yards, which means he's going to take another two or three yards in his drop. So that's going to be eight yards plus 12 yards It's 20 yards worth of running 20 yards. Yeah. You're just going to have to, it takes time. You two and a half seconds to even get to the offensive line who was blocking the quarterback. So he blitzed from depth, which meant that basically he's taking himself completely out of the play. And that means that there's no help to that side unless the other safety rotates over hard. They did not do that. So they just blitzed one guy to that side. Now, if you're the corner to use a baseball analogy, if you're playing left field 
and there's a ball hit to one of the gaps that you're playing and it's hit towards the baseline. You can't dive towards that because if you miss the center fielders way the heck across the field and he can't back you up. If it's towards the center fielder, you can dive at that one. Cause if you miss the center fielder is going to be right behind you. Same thing with safety play in corners. So if you have safety help over the top, it functions like a, a, a ball to the, the left center field gap is you can dive for that one. You can be aggressive because you know, worst case scenario is I completely whiff and there's a safety behind me. Well, that didn't happen because the safety blitzed. So now it's like a ball to the left field line. You can't dive for that. You can't, you can't be aggressive. You have to try and make that a bang, bang, or you have to get your arm around the, the, the offensive player, the receiver and try and knock it down. And if you don't knock it down, just make it a catch tackle. Well, the safety blitzed and then the corner dove underneath to try and make an interception and just missed, but then there's nobody there. So Xavier Hutchins just catches it and turns and runs up the field and takeaways on that. Uh, Xavier Hutchins ran a great route to press the outside shoulder of the corner. Did it Brock did a really good job of getting the ball on time and reading the coverage. And then Kansas screwed it up. So there's, it's the, the combination of doing really good and then Kansas screwing up the rest. So it is funny that both of those parts existed and I, you, you, you watch every play throughout that game. And it's pretty much the same thing as Iowa state does a really good job to get themselves in a position to where they're going to succeed. And then Kansas screws it up and makes the already successful play a hugely successful play. Yeah. I think that the, like that was a really well-thrown ball by Brock. That was kind of my thought as I rewatched it again, I was like, man, even, you know, Yes, the Kansas guy screwed up and he shouldn't have gambled. But even when he did gamble, like that was not a very wide window to throw into, uh, mm-hmm. to throw to the far side towards the uh, towards the sideline. Like that's a tough throw. Um, and he fit it right in there, put it in the only place, you know, the only person that was going to catch it was probably going to be X. Yeah. And uh, like I, you got to give Brock some props for those kinds of things. But Man, it just, it was really funny. I thought the best example of this was, so Devin Gardner, who was on the call of the game, Devin Gardner played quarterback for Michigan, like within the last five years. Uh, Man, shout out to him. He is not a very good analyst, but you could tell he was having a lot of fun regardless of what the score on the, like what the score was. He was just like up there living his best life in the press box, which I can appreciate it. You could tell he really enjoyed just being at the game, which I thought was cool. Uh, but at the same time on the, the long throw to skates, he said something along the lines of, well, Kansas is starting. One of Kansas's starting safeties, Kenny Logan is out uh, of today's game. And then the play ran through. He's like, I don't know that it would have mattered much on that one though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and those are just the things that like, if I'm Lance Leipold, you see that kind of stuff. And it's like, that's where you're just like, man, I just need new people in here. Because those yeah. are those are just the kinds of mistakes that, like, it's not a physical issue or anything like that. I don't know if it's a miscommunication, like, what the deal is. It's the kinds of things where it's like, you sit there and you're like, that can't be explained. Like, you can't come and explain to me what happened on that on that and have it be like a legitimate issue. Yeah, you that's know? a com- it's a complete screw up. It's there is egg on your face and you can't say that it didn't get there anyway. And I, I think another thing that I'd be curious to see with Kansas defense. So th- their defensive line needs a lot of help. There's not, they're not, they don't really get a lot of push so much they, they have some, at, at times they'll do it. So the consistency is lacking, but from a scheme standpoint, I wonder if they're going to adopt the 
And so Iowa State and Iowa get a similar result on defense by doing it completely differently. And Iowa plays a super conservative, very vanilla base package, and obviously it's effective. In the same way, Iowa State does a billion different things out of the same base look, and it's obviously it's effective. Both of those teams are two of the probably top five best defenses in the country. They do them completely separately. Kansas right now is closer to Iowa State in their multiplicity, and they're doing a bunch of different things. I wonder if they would benefit or if they recognize, Hey, we tried to roll these safeties down to do X, Y, and Z. And we tried to bring the safety blitz. And then it, both of those bit us in the butt. I wonder if it would be better for us to play a base cover two and just be really good at it or just a base cover three and be really good at it. And if we can just be really good at one or two things, then maybe we give ourselves a chance to give up 30 in the game instead of 45. And if we give 30, our, our offense, their number four can play the running back, uh, Neil, I think is the last yeah, name. Devin Neal. Number four, yeah. number four can play Bean can run. He, then he's a decent thrower when he makes the right read. It's just reading is the problem because he's a, he hasn't played a ton. So you have some pieces on offense that you can play with just defensively. I think they're doing too much. They're just, there's too many schemes. And the re- the problem with too many schemes is there's too many things to then practice is you have to learn the rules of that inverted cover two or that whatever, whatever scheme they're trying to play when two safeties came down, you have to learn those rules. And you also have to learn the rules when you're playing back. And then you also have to learn the rules when you're bringing a safety blitz on one side, you have to learn all of the rules that are associated with each one of those coverages, protections and fronts. So I'm wondering if, and if it was me, I would probably just dial back the playbook to somewhere between three to five or three to six really good coverages that they know and can run and be really good at those like Iowa does. And then three to five blitzes on those different sets. And if you can be really, really good and really, really consistent at those, then you're going to be fine. If you, you could be great at three things or average at 10 things, I would rather be great at three things. And I wonder how much of that goes into uh, Leipold not being hired until after spring ball, like the install periods that they would have had would have been incredibly brief, you know, and and they basically learned a completely different defense during the spring. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you've got a new scheme, a new coach. I would imagine that some of those things will probably change because Leipold's probably treating some of it as a throwaway. It's like, I couldn't yeah. un- install my stuff anyway. So mm-hmm. like, what does it, you know, at this point, what does it really matter? Yeah. Well, and I wonder if, I also wonder that if he's trying to evaluate then what works, Yeah. you know, what, what of my scheme actually can work or actually would work in the big 12 against these types of offenses and quarterbacks and running backs, what actually would work. So I don't know Kansas, I I hope for the future. And with Lance Leipold, I think that they will get better. I just don't know how many years it's going to take. And I, I would hope that the Kansas administration gives him enough time to actually do it. And he wants to stick around to actually do it. Cause I don't know, again, kindred spirits. If, if Kansas is good, one, I mean, it removes the easy win off the schedule, which that is a nice little nugget, but Kansas being not horrible is, I don't know, a little more fun. It, you know, when, when Todd Reesing and make, and, make and things more interesting, at least yeah, it's, it's more fun. It's more interesting. You can count on them to not just get rolled over by Oklahoma in a later week when you just are, you know, Hey, we need Texas to lose. 
Oh, they're playing Kansas. Damn it. Okay. Well, check that as a win. You know, it changes a little bit where you want them to be, you want to win, you want an easy win, but you also want them to be challenging to everybody else. And so you, you want them want, to be competent at, yes. at minimum. Like Texas tech, like Texas tech is a great example right now. Are they good? I wouldn't say they're good, but they are competent. They are, they beat West Virginia. They shouldn't have beat West Virginia based on paper, but they did. And so good for them that you can count on Texas tech to potentially challenge someone else. And if you do your job, you're going to beat them comfortably, but if you don't, then they're going to beat you. So that's, I think where you'd like, if I'm an Iowa state fan or which I would say I am, if I'm Iowa state, I, that's where I want Kansas to be is competent. I don't need them to be great. I just need them to be competent. I thought the other best example, best example of their futility was on that fourth down that Eric, where Eric Korn made the play. Eric Korn and Ashim Young both came through the and made a nice play. But I, I sent you a screenshot of uh, right before the ball got handed off. And there were literally three people for Kansas still on their feet. Uh, two of them were the quarterback and the ball carrier. One of them was a wide receiver who was standing and watching more or less. Like, I think that that's the only way I would have like that's the only thing that would equate to what he was doing. I suppose theoretically he was blocking. I was not doing a very effective job of it, but uh, everybody else was just on the ground. That does not seem like an effective way to get a fourth and short. Well, and they ran that little muddle huddle thing, yeah. which the intent on that makes sense. Is the, the new England, the new England Patriots uh, executed it much more effectively last night on Sunday night football than what Kansas did. Yeah. So the intent on that is that you're going to show your front because the, the defense has to communicate based on strength and personnel and what's going So they know they would know personnel in that little muddle huddle. So you're going to see, if you see those signs that say 21 or 12, or someone's holding a yellow sign on the sideline, that's just going to say who is out there. So 21 means two backs and one tight end. And then everybody else fill in the blank with everybody else's wide receivers. So you'll see 21 or 12 or 11. So you know, who's out there, but you don't know where they're going to be because two tight ends to the left side and one running back to the right side says something completely different than the tight ends being split and the running back being behind the quarterback. So it all changes. So what the goal on that is that when you come out there, you force the defense to have to communicate and that 11 guys know exactly where to set the strength to. And by strength, you mean strong safety or free safety or Sam linebacker S will linebacker weak W. So that means everybody has to align. And so somebody has to call strong, right, strong, right. And then everybody sets up with strong, right. Or whatever. Maybe Iowa state runs it slightly differently, but when they do that little muddle hole, you're just trying to gamble on the fact that one or two or three of those guys don't get the message that they should be strong, right. Or they line up in the wrong spot. And we know what we're doing. Defense doesn't know what, what they're doing. The reason that didn't work is partly personnel. And if you're in the wrong spot, but you get your ass kicked, or uh, if you're in the right spot, but you and the opponent's in the wrong spot, but you get your ass kicked, it doesn't matter. Uh, and also that Iowa state, I would imagine saw that coming and said, if they are in that muddle huddle, we're going to run a base defense. You stay on the side that you're in and you're going to fit, you know, they have, and they're probably got the rules that it's very easy to follow. It's a very base defense. And then at that point, there's no thinking. So you're, you're not communicating anything on top of there. You're just going, all right, this is what we're doing. If they go in this little muddle huddle and they, it would work against a team that doesn't have the smartest defensive coordinator in the country and against teams, a team that is not returning nine of 11 starters, including like seven seniors that that doesn't necessarily work against this offense or against this defense. So I don't know. It is just a lot of stuff that just doesn't make sense. And again, I, I hope that Kansas gets better. 
they do have some guys, like you said. I mean, I think Devin Neal is going to be a good player for them. Uh, my fear for for Lance Leipold is that they're already young, but how much turnover is it going to require to get the right people that you want, and then ultimately to get them to not be young anymore? Yeah, it's going to be a long term process. I think this the, is like the, to me, this is like a five six year deal to even get to be competent, probably. Yeah, because I, I think the steps in the process are you have to get your team to believe that they can actually win. And if you get your team to believe that you can actually win, then you can win three to four games in the season. And then if you win three to four games in the season, and then you flat to recruits and you find guys like me that are talented enough to play division one football and confident enough to prove themselves that they're going to, you know, work really hard. A guy like James white, James white could probably go more places, but you know, guys like that, that are really hardworking and want to go build something because they think they can, you find a bunch of guys like me and James white. And then at that point you win five or six games. Well, in order to get to that five or six games, Mark, those guys that you recruited have to become old mature enough to do that. And you, in order to get them there and old enough to mature enough, you have to be competent and instill confidence. So that instilling confidence part's going to be two or three years. And then recruiting is going to be another two or three years. And then those guys maturing is going to be another two to three years. So you're looking at like six or seven years before you're at five or six wins. And once you're at five or six wins, that's when you can, you know, do the Iowa state Matt Campbell transition where I might even be Lance Leipold, you know, that Bill Snyder did that, that just took them to where they wanted to go. And then at that point you can become, you can sell your Brees halls, your in-state kids or your recruits that are going to other places because you suck that you, Hey, you should come to your in-state school. You should come to Kansas because X, Y, and Z, whatever, but it's going to be a while. And I just hope the administration gives him the leeway to do that because it is a dumpster fire right now. Absolutely. All right, let's take a quick break. And then I want to talk about some of the young guys too. Uh, when we come back on football and random things on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Welcome back into football and random things on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Uh, got to see a lot of young guys. I don't know what the participation uh, chart ended up looking like. I guess I have it right here in front of me. But, uh, man, I know that there was at one point Iowa State had had like 21 different guys, I think, make a tackle. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the wall of text here. I'm going to guess, you know, if they suited 100 people for the game, probably 60 of them played. Yeah. I would, I would think. Who is 94, the defensive lineman? It starts with a K, I think. Uh, Kyle Krizek. They he made the tackle. Coach Campbell end. brought him up in the yeah, in the press he conference. The, he made the tackle to end the game, and the entire defensive line unit just jumped on his shoulders. That's the cool stuff about games like this is when you can get a guy in, and people were celebrating. I mean, like Zach Peterson was like jumping up and down when 94 started to run onto the field from the sideline, he, he would, they were so excited for him to get in. So I don't know what his situation is, but he clearly is one of the is if you a get, guy that everybody likes. If you get Zach Peterson excited, that's like, uh, uh, it's like, you know, the Royal guard at Buckingham palace, how they're not supposed to ever smile or like, yeah. Like they can't react to anything that like Zach Peterson would be perfect for that job. That guy, like, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen him smile in any of the times that I've ever been around him. 
he is straight faced all the time. So like for him to be excited, then you know, that something good must've happened. Yeah. Uh, So you guys, guys like that, that's kind of fun to see. I mean, in the, in the deep throws of a 50 point blowout and with in the rain, uh, the, I don't know. The fun thing to see though, is I think the positions that, you know, are going to be replaced next year, you know, for almost a 100% fact, Brock Purdy, probably not coming back unless you can get some type of miracle exemption, which I don't think is going to happen. So you want to see Hunter. Well, he wouldn't need a miracle. He could come back anyway, but he just probably won't probably won't. I would guess. Uh, so you have guys like that, that are likely not going to come back. Brees Hall is going to go to the NFL. If he's any, I mean, it's going to be another one of those conversations. If he would want to come back, like Montgomery wanted to come back, Campbell's going to tell him, no, no, get out of here. Go make prayers up to 32, by the way, got, it looked like he got hurt. Hopefully not significantly, but it did not look good yesterday during their game uh, after he'd scored two touchdowns. So prayers up for 32 for sure. Yeah. Um, but with positions that you know you're going to replace you know, guys like Brees. So the running back room, the running back position is going to be vacant. Who is going to fill that? Okay. Jirel Brock has been the guy that's beginning the most run, but Jirel Brock right now has, he fills Jirel Brock reminds me of me, but he is far more talented to be playing like me. So he is a better runner than I ever was or could be, but he does things where he's going to put his foot down. And he's going to put his shoulders about four yards off or like two yards off the ground or the feet, not two yards would be six feet, be two feet off the ground. He's going to try and plow over who anybody who's there, which means his head is down. He's not looking for what else is there. Cause there are times when there are things there that he's just not up and looking for. And in order to do that, you have to have, again, that same kind of relaxed confidence that lets you see what's available. So it was good to see him get some actual carries in a game like this, a blowout game, but guys like Deion Silas and the Eli Sanders, those guys are real. They are playing in the same way that, you want in a way that you want to see young guys play who are going to be filling in for starters as they go. So um, I think those positions like that are really fun. Interesting to see uh, I thought Silas, that kid can scoot. Mm-hmm. He needs to, I think he needs to get in the weight room a little bit. I don't think mean, he's little and he can run, but in order to be a, a you know, in order to be Deuce Vaughn, you got to be a brick house of a person. He might be, but he looks still like he's got some, like, like Brees did two years ago where you can tell he's got a little baby fat on him and he needs to just, you know, transform and get a little bit stronger. So you can withstand picking up on second down a linebacker on a blitz. And then on third down running a screen pass and you know, those kinds of things. So I don't know. Silas was impressive. Sanders is impressive. Hunter Deckers obviously is always impressive. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with the positions that you need to be good, but it's good. Yeah. And then, I mean, to get Bo Freiler in there and for him to be able to play as much as he did. And he didn't even just play late in the game. Like he played a lot, even with the number one guys, which from everything that, you know, Greg Eisworth has said this, he said this after the game on Saturday, Matt Campbell has said this previously, like that's another one of those guys that from the day he walked in, they felt like he was going to be a special type of player. And Sanders, then I thought, said? huh? Sanders, you said? No, uh, Bo Freiler. Oh, safety. Freiler. Sorry, Bo Freiler. Yeah. Uh, he had eight tackles on uh, on Saturday, actually, to lead the team. Um, you know, Greg Eisworth said that, you know, right away he was just with his physical maturity, you could tell that he was going to be a really good player. But I thought, you know, we really got to see that on Saturday. I thought TJ Tampa played really well uh, mm-hmm. in the stretches that he had. He kind of had a, some rough moments against Baylor, but uh, the play that he made on the third down on, on Kansas' first drive was a really good play. 
Like there's some of these guys, especially on defense, that like anytime you bring up their name, the older guys instantly are like, that dude is going to be a, be the real deal, you mm -hmm. know? And like, that gives me a lot of confidence that even after you lose this, this batch that has obviously got so many great players and so many guys who are, you know, going to go down in Iowa State history as some of the best to ever play here. When they look at these next guys coming up and they're like, that guy's the real deal. Like that tells you that the drop-off is not going to be overly stark, especially on the defensive side, because if they're impressed, like it, it doesn't like, they're not impressed by everybody, you mm -hmm. know? But they, they sit there and they're like, man, that kid can really play, you know? Well, and you got guys, I mean, if you think about what the safeties, let's say the safety group for next year, it's going to be Aishim Young, Kamani King, and Freiler. Likely, those are your three guys. That would, Eisworth and uh, Freiler came in for Aishim Young uh, in, in you know, that's who he was essentially substituting for. Mm -hmm. And, th but it was, so it was Eisworth, Freiler, and Kamani King. Well, those three, really, you had, the three guys that you're going to have next year were more or less the same guys that you had this year. Cause I assume played plenty and Eisworth was just out there to kind of make sure everybody's in the right spot. So you have this, the group that's, that's already playing now they're just rotating in. And then, yeah, guys like Tampa, and I don't know what Anthony Johnson's next steps are going to look like, but you have, there's plenty of depth that we, that you can see across the board. I think the linebacker group is going to be the one that uh, you're going to see a little bit of growing pains, but at the same time, all those, all three of those dudes, or I mean, whoever else is going to end up playing, if there is anybody that beats them out for the job, all three of those guys played really well. The defensive line, I hope, I mean, Will McDonald, is he a junior or senior? He is a junior. So he technically could come back, but I bet he's going to go get paid. If, if I'm Will McDonald, depending on what his draft grade is, which probably is pretty good, he should go get paid. Any Wazirike should go get paid. I would say probably the, well, yeah, any, I don't think any will even have the option to come back, yeah. but, uh, any has, man, you want to talk about somebody who made themselves probably a lot of money by coming back for another year. Uh, -huh. uh any has been spectacular. Yes. He five has. Games. He has uh, been absolutely fantastic. Like, Will, I think the only way that will would probably come back is if he got like a third to fourth round grade. Mm -hmm. And they said, if you go back for one more year and can show some things, you could be a first rounder. Yeah. Like it's at that point, like it'd be hard to turn down that kind of, possibility you know yeah. so yeah that's sort of like a like a cave on Thibodeau kind of thing where I mean granted he was a little bit young but you have to come back for this sort of we know what you got coming in type year so that kind of thing yeah maybe he comes back but I mean you got even still you got guys like Zach Peterson and J.R. Singleton and Isaiah Lee you have still depth and talent at every one of the positions you know the offensive side to me is going to be a bigger oh these guys are different because of the tight ends group is going to completely change. The quarterback group is going to completely change. And the running back group is going to completely change the wide receivers. You can still filter guys in, you know, like Jalen Noel is going to be there. I don't know what, Z what X's plan is, Yeah, but you have, you're still going to have guys that can do the thing that you're going to do in that wide receiver group in the offensive line. There's, you know, 50 guys that are playing. So uh, you saw Ramos come in at center and Colin Newell is going to obviously be done at the end of this year. So that's where they're, you know, the replacement's going to be. So it's just, it is interesting to see these guys. It is in the, the, the positions that you know, for sure are going to be replaced. That's the ones that I, every time that the, the backups come in UNLV and, and Kansas, that's who I'm watching is what, what are you doing? Because you are really right now auditioning for a job. If you're a backup to Aishim Young, okay, you're auditioning for a job as a safety, but you're not going to take Aishim Young's job because He's for sure going to be here next year. He's for sure going to be a starter. because He's one of the best players in the team. So that guy, you're not stealing the job of, but 
someone else, Greg Eisworth, that guy, you're auditioning for that job. Or again, running back, you're auditioning for that job. So those are the ones that, that you, that I really tend to watch are the ones that are more or less going to be open for the taking next year. Uh, Craig McDonald is an, a, another guy that I know, uh, people on the staff are really excited about, uh, Craig McDonald was ready to risk it all when he was going to send it, uh, send it on a blitz late in the game and nearly fell on his ass because he tried to slide to a stop before jumping off sides. <laughs> we well, uh, did the, the play before he timed it exactly right and got through and like got penetration, got a tackle. <laughs> yeah. The next play he Scooby dude, that one. <laughs> it's like in uh it's like road runner. You see his feet like running and he's not moving uh-huh. uh, because the, it's the ground. So what, but uh, no, man, it was fun to see those guys get out there and play. And you could just tell like everybody was having fun. Uh, and, and like I said, with Kyle Krizik, you know, coach Campbell talked about how, I think we asked him like, if it's rewarding to see someone asked him if it's rewarding to see, uh, you know, the young guys come in and have some success when, uh, when they get their opportunities. And he said that, you know, getting to see someone like Kyle Krizik who does not ever get to play, and, you know, has come in and worked his tail off like every day for years to never get an opportunity to play. And then mm-hmm. the one time he gets an opportunity to play, he it's goes tackle. in and makes a tackle. Like that's the kind of thing that I think gets mm-hmm. those guys the most excited. Yeah. It's funny. If you do get a chance, watch the very, the last drive of the game. And I don't know if the camera actually caught it, but as he's getting on the field, as Krizak is going on the field, the rest of the defensive line group are like legitimately jumping up and down. Like someone just made a strip sack. It's that type of excited. And then as soon as he, it's the last play of the game, the guys are going bonkers because he gets the tackle and the play, you know, Kansas starts walking out the field. Iowa state starts walking on the field and they mob him. Like he just made a game winning field goal. And it was just that, that type of feeling. You know, you, you know, the character of, of guys like that. And that's kind of that you see your friend, you know, get that, do a job interview and get the job that he was really, that he really wanted for like three years. And that type of, I'm so happy for you, for your success, that type of feeling is it's such, such an immediate gratification that like this dude deserves the, the joy that he has. I have more than that for him because I'm happy for him. So that's, that's the kind of fun stuff in games like this. And it's cool to know that those guys appreciate that are able to appreciate something like that so much because obviously they know how much they have to sacrifice to be able to play, but it's easy when you're someone who gets to play on Saturdays and gets your name in the newspaper and like gets a lot of attention to, you know, kind of forget that like there are other people there that are making those same kind of sacrifices that don't get any of the payoff, Mm -hmm. you know, and like to see them have that much to be that excited for someone when they finally do get that payoff. Like, I just think that that's really cool. Like that's the cool dynamics of college football, where there are a lot of people behind the scenes that like, no one will ever know their name for Mm -hmm. playing football at Iowa state, but the guys inside the program know, and like, they know how much they're pulling for that person just to get any, any ounce of success and to get any sort of, Mm -hmm. you know, payoff on a Saturday. Yeah. And it is, uh you know, he, he's somebody's friend. He's like in that locker room, he's like someone's best bud that if they do end up having to, you know, go do weight room stuff or go do study hall, they're going to sit next to each other and chill and talk, whatever. And then one of those guys might be, you know, I just use an example. One of those guys might be Zach Peterson and might be Kyle Krizak, who just, one of those guys is going to play one of them's not, but outside of the like actual Saturdays or practice time, it's the same. You just, just friends. And then all of a sudden you get to experience what I get to experience. So that's, yeah, it is that it, that is one cool little perk. For sure. All right. Uh what are your thoughts on Red River coming up? Uh 
that's, it's a, it's a very important game. Uh, I think more so important for Oklahoma than it is for Texas, because I think Texas expectations going into the season were we should be, we should be good, but if we're not, it's still year one for Sark. Oklahoma's expectations were we're going to be good. This is something that we are going to be. So the pressure is more on Oklahoma because if Oklahoma loses, then their dream for a season starts to, to come down substantially because they still got to play Iowa state. They still got to play TCU. They still got to play Baylor. So they still got to play Oklahoma state and Bedlam. You still have a lot of games left in the schedule. And now Texas does too, but if they lose, then, you know, nine and three for Texas would be one of those. It's not as good as we wanted, but it's still year one. Let's go to the, you know, sugar bowl and something, whatever. But if Texas wins, then that kind of validates this sort of way. We're better now than we thought we were going to be. So yeah, the pressure's on Oklahoma. Um, and I don't, I don't know who I think Oklahoma is a more consistent or not a more consistent, a more disciplined team than Texas is. Texas is very high and low. Texas is very more explosive than Oklahoma, but I don't know. I, I, I think based on how they're playing, Texas should win, which is why I think Oklahoma is going to win. Just because uh, that game is too nutty. Thoughts on uh, Iowa Penn state. Uh, okay. I, I want to, and again, I don't think there's any Hawkeye fans that made it through an hour and some change on this, but Iowa is really good. And I use this example on TV. The, the, the rate at which they're getting turnovers is abnormally high, even for how good they are. So if what, Steph you, mean, Curry, you mean six interceptions isn't sustainable, but even like four against uh, four against Iowa state, they got three or four against Indiana. They got six against Maryland, Th these super high numbers. They're getting turnovers at a rate, which is not normal to them. Cause right now they are plus 12 in turnover margin through five games, which is absolutely insane. And so the example I use is if Steph Curry were to make 70% of his three point shots for three straight games, you wouldn't say that he's a lucky shooter. You're saying that Steph Curry is one of the greatest three point shooters, if not the greatest three point shooter of all time. And he's also hot. So Iowa's defense right now is really good. It, it, they are one of the best in the country, but they are also hot. So when you're playing a team like Penn state, are you going to be able to stay in that really high level of turnover margin or are you going to be maybe plus one on the day or even on the day, God forbid. And now your offense is going to have to do more to actually win the game, as opposed to your defense, setting up your offense on the 30 yard line or the 20 yard line or scoring themselves. At some point, one of these games is going to happen where they are either even, or just maybe plus one in turnover margin. And the offense is going to have to do something. And I don't know if they are good enough to carry the water. So, you know, you play a team like Alabama, they're going to get, they're likely not going not going to be able to do that against Alabama or Georgia or whatever. So is Penn state that team? I don't think so. I, th I still think Iowa wins because I don't think, I think Penn state is a little overblown if I had to guess, but I think, I don't know. It just seems like at some point they're going to have to carry the water. And I don't know what that is. I don't think it's Penn state, but I think at some point it might be. There comes a point when you can't score 30 points on like 130 yards of offense. Yeah. At some point when that they, well, we haven't seen them need to the, yeah. the, so far this season, they have had control of every game at about half by about halftime. And then they just put it in cruise control and at, and doesn't matter from there. And that's when Petrus's completion percentage might only be 60% or 50%, but 
it's way better, way better in that situation. Just chuck it out of bounds or throw one where only, you know, skip one to a tight end versus putting one even in the remotest type of jeopardy. So they've not had to run an offense in a critical situation that so far this season, because they've been in that end of the fourth, second half, all the games have been more or less decided because of their defense. So yeah, at some point, Iowa is very, 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 very good on defense and their offense. We still don't know about because we've not had to see it so far through their five games. So I don't know. I still take Iowa, but not super. I don't know what their offense is and if they have enough, they might, they might not. Uh, last thing. What's the focus during the bye week? Uh, health swapping out positions that you might need to swap out. Like if they do want to see what Sean Foster's got or someone instead of Sean Foster's got the Cameron shook at punter, which we didn't talk about at all, but they replaced the punter from the Baylor game to this one with Corey Dunn getting swapped out for Cameron shook, uh, getting those positions that are swapped out to get them two weeks of practice to stay in there. But yeah, getting healthier and getting more consistent and trying to keep that confidence high is, you know, you're playing golf at Woodland Hills. You're not playing golf at, Polly's plantation off the ocean. You, it, you are comfortable with what you're doing. And if you be comfortable with what you're doing and who you're doing it with, this offense can do the things that we want, that we expected them to do. So getting healthy, swapping out positions. If you need to swap out positions and confidence, do you have analysis on the punter or do you want to, or, or are you good? The only thing I can say is his two punts weren't the deepest punts on earth, but they were where they were supposed to be. And there was enough hang time to get your coverage team down. Both were fair catches. That is the only thing you need. That is it. It Dunn might have a bigger leg. He, he, this Cameron shook might not average 52 yards a punt, but he's going to average 40 and it's going to be 40. That's all you need. Yeah. That's kind of what coach Campbell said after the game that, you know, he might not, yeah, he's not going to probably kick it as far, but he's going to kick it a mile in the air and he's going to kick it the same, more or less the same distance every time. And if that's how it is, then it is what it is. You yep. know, like you at least you can cover it, it then. Again, golf example. Again, I don't need a 325 yard drive. If it's going to be halfway in the water sometimes or in the trees, sometimes I take a 250 drive. If it's right down the fairway, every single time, just get a punter that gets you 250 down the fairway every single time. And that's, I think what Cameron Chuck's job is, is keep it on the fairway if it's a left punt, punt it left at 40 yards. That's it. Don't shank it. Basically, and at least, it. at least you can play for, you can play to consistency. Yeah. You, you know what you're dealing with at that point. Yes. All right, man. Enjoy the bye week Enjoy the uh, birds of the upper peninsula. Uh, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks everybody for listening. Peace.